O come, O come, Emmanuel. I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This Thanksgiving was the coziest in recent memory. Each year, we celebrate with old friends, folks with whom we can discuss all that matters in our lives, and then we laugh, and we laugh, and we laugh with abandon. We are godparents to their two girls, whom we've watched grow from adorable babies into lovely teenagers. And the teenage part is what matters. No longer children who get up at the crack of dawn, the girls now sleep until 11. (laughs) Which means we four get to sit quietly in the morning with our coffee next to the fire, still in pajamas, for as long as we like. I won't lie, for three days we did nothing but cook and eat and talk and wear comfy clothes. For three straight days, we had a fire going, blankets and cats on our laps as we looked out on a chilly, rainy world. We were glad to be cozy inside. I hope that you too got to hunker down a bit, find warmth with friends and family, or time alone doing what you like, letting the great world spin out there by itself for a while. This kind of time, all too rare, makes me appreciate the resurgence in popularity for all things homey, comfortable, gemütlichkeit, for staying in, warm, light surrounding us, dry inside as we look out on the windswept, cold, drear world. We used to call this cocooning, this interest in staying in, staving off the nasty world outside with its threats of violence and nasty politics and unpredictable interactions with strangers. Cocooning was identified as a trend back in the 1980s as a response to threats of nuclear war and the advent of VCRs in our homes. It arose again in the early 2000s after September 11th. Recently, cocooning has regained popularity now under the Danish moniker Huga which I'm not sure I'm pronouncing correctly, but which is the Danish notion of being comfy and cozy. After all, the Danes are known to be some of the happiest people in the world, despite living in one of the coldest and darkest and dreariest countries. These are people who know how to survive the dark and the dreary, and I embrace Hugga, however you pronounce it. And yet, and yet, in the midst of this time of year, dark and chill as it is, when all we want to do is cocoon with our favorite movie, a mug of tea or hot cocoa, some fuzzy slippers, cat on lap, 
we find ourselves confronted with the Advent message. Keep awake. Keep awake. Sleepers, wake. Walk in the light of the Lord. Paul says, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. Our opening prayer, cast away works of darkness, it says, put on the armor of light. This is what we hear on this first Sunday of Advent. You know, one of the problems with Advent is that it lives cheek by jowl with the next season of Christmas. And while the two are certainly related, Advent is not just pre-Christmas. Rather, it's its own time and season. It's the season that happens in the dark. The season that is about both the Advent or coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago and the Advent or coming of Jesus again at a time we know not. It is the time between. It's the dark. It's the time between points of light. And if there's one thing that we do exceedingly well in the Episcopal Church, it's Advent. We stringently resist decorating for the next season until, well, that season actually begins on December 24th, the eve of the Nativity. Now some interpret this as curmudgeonly. However, I know most Episcopalians prepare for Christmas shopping and going to parties and decorating their homes out in the world, but in the church, we remain resolute. During a season when we might be tempted to get so comfy and cozy and self-focused that we fall asleep, losing sight of what really matters, dreaming sugar plum dreams, instead, we are told, stay awake. but we live in a time between, the meantime, and it's hard to stay awake. We know the first event has already happened, Christ coming all those years ago. We've heard the story so many times that maybe we no longer find it new or surprising. And we've been awaiting an event foretold for so long that many of us no longer think about it at all. That time being Christ's return, a time of judgment and accountability. While some Christians can be faulted for being obsessed with that time, the second coming and the possibilities of apocalypse and rapture, we Episcopalians can be accused of having become too blasé inured to the idea of Christ's return and accompanying judgment. Why stay awake for something that seems not only unlikely, but well, fairly unpleasant? 
And why stay awake in this meantime, this between time, when we must attend to all the humdrum business of our lives? Cooking and cleaning, showing up at work, raising children, paying bills, caring for our families, mourning the dead, and on and on and on. When you live between times, the, tar the dark time between two points of light, when we live in the meantime, why stay awake? Well, scripture charges us to stay awake, to walk in the light even when surrounded by darkness, to put on the armor of light even as the works of darkness swirl about us in a time that might induce us to sleep, we are to wake up. We are to stay awake on the lookout for God, for the Messiah who brings both judgment and salvation, who arrives without warning but who bears peace, the kind of peace where swords are being beaten into plowshares, a time when nation shall no longer lift up sword against nation, nor shall we learn war anymore. This is the one who is coming has come, is here. We are to stay awake, watch, look for this one. We are not to snuggle into our jammies and our comforters, delightful as they are as protection from the dark and cold. No, we are to look for the light, walk in it, put it on as armor. We are to look for the one who will come. And we can do so by seeing how God is already here at work in the world and then by joining God's work, by adding to the light in any small way that we can. Recently, one of you told me about the light and seeing it. You told me about the light of raw tools, R-A-W, tools, a group taking up the promise of a God whose reign means we will beat swords into plowshares. Raw tools collects guns and places them literally on anvils, beating them into gardening tools so that what was once used for violence and war can now be used for planting and nourishment. They are called raw because they are turning weapons of war upside down and backwards. They also do nonviolence training and community development so that those who might be tempted to use weapons of violence will learn ways of peace. Inspired by this example of light in the darkness, I found others doing similar things, one in Culiacan, Mexico, the city with the highest rate of gun deaths in that country. An artist there has collected 1,500 guns, melted them down, and created shovels out of them. Now those shovels are being used to plant trees all over the city. Out of death, new life, in the midst of darkness, light.
there is light, even in dark times, but we must be awake. We must be awake to see it. In a world that is dark, in a season that is cold, it is tempting to retreat, to snuggle down for a long winter's nap, but not us, not the church. We are made for this between time, this in the meantime, for helping one another to stay awake, for pointing one another to the light in the world, to where God has been, is at work, pointing one another to the promise that God's dream will come. In the darkness, we wait, patiently, hopefully, we know that though the night is far gone, the day draws near. In this season, when sleigh bells and jingle bells tinkle outside, here, here, in the dark in the church, we hear instead the ringing of anvils, of swords being beaten into plowshares, of guns, fashioned into shovels. Christ has come. Christ is coming. Christ is here. Keep awake. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.